You must know the times. Answers to 25 essential questions on end times prophecy. A powerful new book by Dennis James Woods. Wildfires, earthquakes, hurricanes, and floods that devastates entire communities. Global pandemics that kills hundreds of thousands of people. Social injustice, unrest, and lawlessness that threatens our societies. Where is this world heading? And what does the Bible say about the end times? You Must Know the Times is an eye-opening book specifically designed to educate readers about the last days. You will learn what the Bible says about conflicts in the Middle East, the Tribulation Period, the Nation of Israel, the Mark of the Beast, the Antichrist, Armageddon, the Rapture of the Church, and many more essential topics. Get your copy today of You Must Know the Times by Dennis James Woods at Amazon, iTunes, Google Books, Barnes & Noble, or wherever books are sold. Praise the Lord, everyone out there in podcasts and radio land and YouTube land. This is Dr. Dennis James Woods, and we're here with you one more time with the Revelation Revolution uh, podcast and uh, view, uh, YouTube uh, live uh, video. And so we're just so glad to be with you again, and we're going to get into another very, very exciting lesson. Uh, we're not appointed to wrath, part two. And uh, but before we do that, let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord God, we thank you and praise you for your amazing and abundant grace. We thank you, Lord God, for all that you are doing in our lives, even in the midst of all that is going on in the world right now. You are still God. You are still saving. You are still delivering in the name of Jesus, Lord God. We're just praying for everybody that is listening on tonight, uh, doing to this uh, lesson, Lord God. And we thank you, Lord God, for their support. We thank you, Lord God, for ministering and touching their hearts in the name of Jesus for those that are praying along with us as well. Lord God, we just pray for our country. We pray for the world that we're living in. We pray for the church. We pray for all Christians in, in the universal church, Lord God, no matter where they may be. Lord God, we're praying, Lord God, that you soon come Maranatha, Lord God, in the name of Jesus, Lord God. And we just thank you and we praise you, Lord God, uh, in the name of Jesus, as you fulfill your word in our lives, Lord God. We are looking fast unto you, Lord God, in the name of Jesus. And we're asking you to save us and deliver us all that call upon your name whom you have foreknown for the foundation of the world written in the lamb's book of life we give you praise honor and the glory in jesus name amen again we thank all of you for uh tuning in uh those of you that could see me uh, uh, that are watching the video you see i have my headset on as well uh, because i'm using a method now where i double record this program uh so the audio uh, will be powerful for my uh 
podcast listeners uh, and the video is good as well for our YouTube and Facebook viewers and so we just thank God again uh, for all of you and uh, so we don't want to belabor the time any longer again this is part two we're not appointed to wrath part two uh glory to god uh those of you that were with us uh on uh, last uh, on our last episode, we had a very powerful episode. We're going to pick right back up in that uh, as soon as I get my PowerPoint ready here. We're going to get right in to it. Glory to God. There we go. So we thank God again for all of you. For those of you that are listening to me on uh, the podcast, we just thank God for you as well. In the name of Jesus, Revelation Revolution. Uh, so th- for those of you that um, want to support this ministry, I just have the information there to support this ministry. You can send tax deductible donations to Power of the Holy Ghost Deliverance Ministries. That's P.O. Box 1239. That's Mattison, Illinois. That's M-A-T-T-E-S-O-N, Illinois. The zip code is 60443. Our 800 number is 788. I'm sorry, 877-267-7477. And our email address is PhD Ministries. That's PhD for Power of the Holy Ghost Deliverance Ministries. PhD, the word ministries, M-I-N-I-S-T-R-I-E-S, the number 400 at att.net. That's PhD Ministries 400 at att.net. Uh, if you'd love, uh, like to call us and reach out to us, that's fine. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, I would love to just get a get an email from a brother sometime. I mean, from a brother or a sister. You know, y'all know y'all be enjoying this. Take time to say, Dr. Woods, we enjoy your teaching. Uh, we enjoy uh, what you're saying and how we have been enriched by it. Or you maybe you might have a question or something if you want to call us and talk to maybe about book publishing and all that we have a publishing company as well uh, Life to Legacy Publishers that's lifetolegacy.com you can go on and take a look at our, web, at our website uh, pretty soon we'll have the PhD uh, website up as well so you could uh, uh, see uh, Power of the Holy Ghost Deliverance Ministries which I have a link to Revelation Revolution and all of that as well okay so let's go um And get into our lesson. Now, uh, as we spoke about in our last session, uh, we talked about the problem with a narrow view of the wrath. Uh, the problem with the narrow view of wrath or the wrath of God. And the narrow view is... What happens is, is when we, when a lot of times when people speak in terms of the wrath of God, they're just speaking of Daniel's 70th week. They're just speaking of what is called the tribulation period. Okay. But that is a narrow view of the wrath of God that if you take that into the book of Revelation, It'll cause you to misinterpret, in my opinion, uh, 
key passages like Revelation 3.10 when we get to the Church of Philadelphia. Now, we're going to be spending a lot of time on uh, the Church of Philadelphia today and uh, 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 the uh, interpretation of Revelation uh, 3.10. So, but, our, uh, but where I wanted to start was in 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter uh, number 1, verse number 10, the New King James Version. It says, And wait for his Son from heaven, whom he has raised from the dead, even Jesus who delivers us from wrath to come who delivers us from wrath to come now a lot of people when they see scriptures anything that has to do with the wrath of God as I'm uh, I have my cursor there you can see it uh, with the wrath of God they always think in terms of the tribulation they think in terms of the seven seals the seven trumpets the seven bowls Armageddon the return of the Lord uh, at the, the culminating event of the day of the Lord they, they think of all of that and the destruction of the Antichrist and all that now, that is part of the wrath of God, but it is not the totality and it is not the worst part of the wrath of God. As we, as you learned in the other program preceding, there's something far worse than the uh, temporary judgments that are found in the seven-year period that we call Daniel's 70th week. There's, uh, there's, there's much more worse things than that. And uh, so, uh, here we see um, that even Jesus... In verse number First Thessalonians one ten, even Jesus who delivers us from wrath to come. Now the interesting thing about here, who delivers us, delivers us from wrath to come. Now, of course, when Paul wrote this, this is one of his first epistles that he wrote, First uh, Thessalonians, um, and this was a new fledgling church, and they and, and Paul was already teaching them about eschatology. You know, that's the interesting thing. Uh, today, people don't want to talk about end time prophecy, but the first century church, they were really into it. They really wanted to know about end time prophecy, and so Paul talked quite a bit about it in First uh, uh, Thessalonians. Thessalonians and Second Thessalonians, and so uh, even John in his epistle, First First John two eighteen, he said, "You have heard that the Antichrist has come." He says, "This is how we know, and that we're in the uh, last hour." He said, "Already many Antichrists have come." They were already talking about the Antichrist. They were already talking. They were already talking about the second coming of the Lord. This is. 20 centuries ago that's because most of them at that time believed that the day of the Lord was at hand they, they and, and there were many of them who thought that uh, glory to God but notice what it says Jesus who delivers us now who is the us there is the us just the Thessalonians is the us just the uh, Christians of the first century is the us just us Christians in the 21st century? I would submit to you that the us here is everybody. Everybody from the day of Pentecost till the day till the day the rapture happens, that is the age of the church. So the Bible says that God is going to deliver us from the wrath to come. Deliver us. Well, ladies and gentlemen, most Christians are already dead. You've got, well, I would say most in the sense of you've got 20 centuries of Christians that are already dead already. So there's no chance that the wrath that the, Jesus was going to be delivering them from the wrath of God as in Daniel 70 a week.
that's not possible because only Christians, only people, not the ones say Christians, only people living at that time will experience all of that. Okay, so whenever that happens, only they will experience that. Yet Christ says, let Paul through by the unction of the Holy Spirit says he's going to deliver us. So when he says us, he's talking about the entire body of Christ, even though the entire body of Christ, most of them will have already died centuries before Daniel 70 week even gets here. So he couldn't be talking about the wrath to come as in Daniel 70 week in the bowls, the judgment, the bowls, the seals and the trumpets. He, he couldn't have been talking about that. But the wrath that he is talking about is a glory to God. The uh, wrath of eternal destruction that all Christians will be delivered from because ultimately we are saved and redeemed by the blood of the lamb and we do not face the second death. So in the second death, that's the eternal wrath that is to come. And so this is why uh, even in First uh, 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 Thessalonians uh, chapter 5, verse number 9, again, as we studied in our first part of this teaching, uh, we talked about how God has not appointed us to wrath. See, there is, an, uh, there is a wrath of God that people will be appointed to, but for us, we obtain salvation. And we talked about appointed and obtained in our last uh, series that both of these words are loaded with meaning because appointed means those who are appointed to go to the great white throne judgment and those who are saved uh, are in the resurrection of the righteous we obtain salvation at that point or the final salvific act which is glorification but that doesn't come until we get to the rapture slant resurrection of the righteous and so uh, so that's why uh, those things are so important it says um and and this and we know that we're talking about god's eternal wrath here because as paul says in second thessalonians uh verse chapter uh one verse nine he said these shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the lord and from the glory of his power so we know that he is not talking about the temporal wrath which will be poured out during what is known as daniel 70 week or the tribulation period with the seals the trumpets and the bowls and armageddon and all of that is now again those will be the worst time in human history yes when it comes to the earth realm and all of that there won't be another time uh, as as dramatic and as drastic as that time but the eternal destruction that we're talking about is beyond the earth. That's in human history since things were created on earth. Yes, the tribulation is going to nothing going to be like that. But there's something far worse than the tribulation. But that's at an eternal level, not at the temporal level where we are down here on the earth. See, we're in the temporary realm right now. That's why Paul said in a, 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 a Second Corinthians chapter number four, uh, right around verse uh, uh, 18, right around there. He talks about for uh, the things that are seen are temporal, but the things 
things that are not seen are eternal. Glory to God. And so uh, there is a whole nother uh, realm uh, that we uh, uh, have to contend with. Uh, glory to God. That's eternal. And both of these in Second uh, Thessalonians 1 9 are dealing with the eternal aspect, uh, whereas they're dealing with the everlasting destruction or the, uh, the appointed wrath, which we discovered uh, in, uh, is the great white throne judgment and the penalty of the great white throne judgment is the second death. Okay, that's when people are thrown into the lake of fire whose names are not found in the uh, Lamb's book of life. Uh, so we all know about that. Uh, glory to God. So now. So we're still dealing with the problem with the narrow view. Now, the narrow view of the wrath of God can mess you up, particularly when you start uh, talking about interpreting things like passages uh, like uh, 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 Revelation uh, 3.10. Uh, when we get to the promise made to the uh, church at Philadelphia, and we dealt with that last week, we're going to continue to get into it. We're going to actually be using a very top scholar's work, a Dr. John MacArthur. We're going to go meticulously through his commentary and we're going to look at um, uh, and compare uh, uh, and juxtapose uh, what we're teaching on tonight. Uh, in Revelation, uh, to give you an idea of the eternality of God's wrath and how, how the conversation of wrath includes the eternal destruction that Paul references in uh, 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 2 Thessalonians chapter number 1, uh, we see it here in Revelation. Now let's read a Revelation uh, uh, 14 verses uh, 10 and 11. It says, and he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God. So we know we're talking about the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of holy angels and in the presence of the lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascends up forever and ever. And they have no rest day or night who worship the beast and his image and who receive the mark of his name so here we have we have God promising those that get the mark of the beast glory to God will not only drink from his wrath that he pours out in the bowl judgments now those those are terrible I mean and in the earth realm nothing can match these glory to God but we there's another realm to deal with there's the eternal realm and that's where the punishment gets much worse so uh, uh, and 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 first, so he deals with, uh, again, he, he himself also shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of holy angels and in the presence of the lamb and the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever and they have no rest day or night who worship the beast and his image or whoever receives the mark of his name so the bottom line is is this yes the people who get the mark of the beast they get all of the bold judgments and that's part of the wrath of God but the wrath of God is not just contained to Daniel 70 week the wrath of God is also they will also be tormented and with fire and brimstone forever and ever and ever that is also the wrath of God that is the ultimate form of the wrath of God that is the purest and the most devastating and ultimate form of the wrath of God no no it, it, see ladies and gentlemen if people had an opportunity to take their chances 
with any of the bold judgments. I, I don't care which one you hit, but you pick. They would rather choose those than be thrown into the lake of fire forever and ever. There are people that would say, I'll take my chances in an in a earthquake. Uh, as, a matter, as a matter of fact, uh, in Revelation 6, when, it, when we get a picture of the wrath of God at the sixth seal, it says that the, the, uh, uh, the kings of the earth will hide themselves in a mountain and say, rocks fall on us. <laughs> so they'll, 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 they'll deal with that. Okay. The ladies and gentlemen, earthquakes, scorching heat, sores and all that demon locusts stinging people fires water turning into blood earthquakes and all of that all of this stuff is bad yes it is but 100 pound hail destroying everything after that devastating earthquake in revelation 16 uh at the uh at the seventh bowl uh, glory to god i mean that's just devastating but people would take their chances if they had a comparison of dodging hailstones on earth rather than burning forever in the lake of fire so the two don't compare ladies and gentlemen and the wrath of God, therefore, can whenever we speak of the wrath of God, we cannot just think about it in terms of the tribulation. And I think that's what mess a lot of dispensationalists up. They always want to contain the wrath of God to the day of the Lord in the sense of Daniel's 70th week or that last 70 year period. It's just simply not the case. And Revelation clearly shows us that there's an aspect of the wrath of God that speaks of burning with fire and brimstone forever and ever that is the second death and also Paul in uh, uh, 1 Thessalonians also speaks of everlasting destruction so we know and so this is why Paul is talking about God has delivered us from wrath to come he's delivered us now the us there is the church the us are all the righteous uh, all the righteous and the redeemed glory to God and many are again uh, will be dead long before the times of the eschaton or the eschatology or the 70th week of Daniel gets here they've been dead so how are they going to be delivered from something that they, they, they've been dead a hundred years well obviously they're not going to be here but the bottom line is that's not the wrath that God has in mind there God has in mind the wrath of God there the eternal Eternal wrath expressed for those who get the guilty verdict at the great white throne judgment and his ultimate wrath is the lake of fire from ever and ever. That's what he has delivered us from and that's what Paul was talking about. God has not appointed us to wrath but to obtain salvation because both of the appointed to wrath deals with the resurrection of the unrighteous and uh, to obtain salvation deals with the resurrection of the righteous where we will be glorified in the resurrection of the righteous and not have any part in the second death and so this these are important things to understand uh, listen to what Revelation 21 uh, verse number 8 in the New King James says it says but the cowardly the unbelieving the abominable the murders the sexually immoral the sorcerers the idolaters all and all liars have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone which is the second death now that 
is the ultimate form of the wrath of God. And it is the worst thing in the book of the uh, Revelation. And so the problem is, as many people think just the bowls, the seals and, and the uh, trumpets are the worst thing in Revelation. It is just simply not the truth. The wrath of God expressed in the worst judgment of them all. You always hear about the judgments of on the earth realm. No, 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 no. The worst judgment in Revelation is not the seals. It's not the bowls. It's not the trumpets. It is the great white throne judgment where God opens up the books, brings everybody back from the dead, from Adam's first cousin all the way to the last wicked person born during the millennium. They will all be at that. They will all be at that uh, 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 trial. Uh, glory to God. And uh, God will determine what sort a person is. How would he do that? He'll open up the books and judge them by their works. You're talking about a court scene, ladies and gentlemen that is going to be horrific uh, as a matter of fact but this church will be there and what I mean by the church will be there we will not be in the penalty phase but we will be there because the saints will help God judge the world <laughs> and so the, yeah we're going to be around you you may actually be a material witness <laughs> with some of the people that get thrown off in the lake of fire God is going to bring them back you may be a witness in that I, I, I don't have any scriptures to say that but the Bible does say saints judging the world we'll, we we will get to that uh, later. Glory to God. So the biggest problem with the narrow view of the wrath of God is how it affects the interpretation of the message to the church of Philadelphia. Besides 2 Thessalonians 2 text, this is probably the most relied on passage to support a pre-trib rapture, which is uh, Revelation uh, uh, 3, 310. Uh, glory to God. So let's just, let's just read it. Uh, because you have kept the command to persevere, I will keep you from the hour of trial, which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Now that one scripture right there, ladies and gentlemen, as a matter of fact, like people like Dr. John MacArthur, he's already said, Christians, we shouldn't rely on Second Thessalonians chapter 2 for pre-trib rapture. He said, this is the pre-trib rapture scripture. But of course, if you look at the passage, there's, nothing, there's no rapture language in this passage at all. But this is how the dispensation, so the pre-tribulationists swear by this passage. This is the one, listen, this is the one they take you to when all else fails. Okay, so uh, we're going to look at that and we're going to unravel some of that in the name of Jesus. Okay, let's Let's review in detail the argument set for by Dr. John MacArthur from the uh, MacArthur New Testament commentary. So let's just go through the MacArthur pre-trib argument. So let's just go through it. Uh, glory to God. We don't want to uh, uh, besmirch him or anything like that. But what we are going to do, we're going to use his own material and then we'll get into it. Uh, it says because now this is his first point. Because the believers in Philadelphia had successfully passed so many tests, Jesus promised to spare them now notice he says them from the ultimate test the sweeping nature of that promise extends far beyond the Philadelphian congregation to encompass all the faithful churches throughout church history there's nothing in the test that suggests that not from this verse not from this verse Jesus is talking to the saints at Philadelphia glory to God but John MacArthur is making a pre-trib argument, so of course he expects 
lends the concept to fit that argument but the bottom line is he says the sweeping nature of that promise uh extends far beyond the philadelphian congregation well he has to say that because the philadelphian congregation has been off the scene since the since the 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 first second third century it's been off of the scene so obviously them christians been dead they've been they've been gone a long time ago so obviously glory to god he has to say well philadelphia really when he says that to philadelphia he's really saying that to all christians and he's really talking past the philadelphians two saints 20 centuries later but ladies and gentlemen what i'm saying is i i disagree with that i think that the lord is talking to this church he's making a promise to some christians that he attends on keeping he's actually going to keep this promise and we're going to see that and this is and remember now thematically we're talking about some of the problems with having a, a narrow view of the word of god and as is particularly when we come to the book of revelation and, and try to get into the interpretation of some of these uh, uh key passages glory to god it says two this verse promises that the church will be delivered from the tribulation thus supporting a pre-tribulational rapture now what he's saying is is the hour of trial he is saying the hour of trial that comes to try the whole world that is the tribulation itself now the text doesn't say that but that's how the pre-trib theorists reads into they 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 eisegete that into the text that's not in the text but that's what they read into it because they because they have to shape it that way in order to make the pre-trib rapture work so they use 310 to do it so he says again this uh, verse promises that the church will be delivered from the tribulation thus supporting a pre-trib rapture but as you just as we just read from that passage it doesn't say anything like that Glory to God. That's how they read it, though. Verse number three, several aspects of this wonderful promise may be noted. First, the test is yet future. Okay. All right. We're, we're, we're giving his arguments and then we're going to go each through each one of these and counterpoint them. So I just want to give you the, uh, the his arguments. Uh, second, the test is for a definite limit, limited time. Jesus described it as an hour of testing. Number five. Third, it is a test or a trial that will expose people for what they are. Okay. Uh, that's interesting how a hailstone exposes who you are, but we'll we'll get into his arguments a little bit more. Fourth, the test is worldwide in scope and since since it will come upon the whole world. Okay, he's making his reasons for why they say this is the tribulation even though the tribulation is not mentioned that's what they're saying it always mentioned is an hour trial that comes to try the whole world that's all they said they said that's the tribulation okay because they they are employing a narrow view of the wrath of god here okay again finally the and finally and most significantly the purpose is to test those that dwell on the earth a phrase used as a technical term in the book of revelation for unbelievers they always throw that point out ladies and gentlemen everybody that dwells on earth is not an unbeliever number one even 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 if you look at glory to god the redeemed jews and all of that there'll be people who make it go into the millennium and all that but anyway we we won't we won't belabor that point right now we'll we'll come back to some other points okay number eight the hour of testing is daniel's 70th week 
the time of Jacob's trouble, the seven-year tribulation period. The Lord promises to keep his church out of the future time of testing that will come on unbelievers. Now, they have inserted that. Now, the text doesn't say that. That is not what the text says. This is pre-trib saying this is what that means. It means that because we say it means that. That's that's really all they have because the text doesn't say that. You you read the text. It doesn't say that. The hour of testing is Daniel 70 week. So clearly John MacArthur here is employing a narrow view of the wrath of God as only being Daniel 70 a week. Okay. So we, I just want you to understand uh, how we're doing this. Okay, number nine, believers will either pass the test by repenting or fail it by refusing to repent. Okay, uh, number 10, there has been much debate over the meaning of the phrase to keep from because it says I keep you from the meaning uh, uh, terio ek and uh, it means be to be kept completely out of argues strongly for a similar meaning in Revelation 3.10. The Apostle John wrote both passages and both are direct quotes from the Lord Jesus Christ to interpret Terio Ek as a promise of preservation in the midst of the tribulation poses another difficulty. Why? The Philadelphian church was never in the tribulation, which is still future. And I see John MacArthur goes, aha, I got you there. See, it can't, it can't, it can't be talking about preserving them through it because they were never in the tribulation. Well, that's a good point, Dr. MacArthur. You're right. They're not. They're not in the tribulation. So whatever the Lord promised them couldn't be talking about the tribulation at all. You're right. But see, he just uses the argument that way. But no, we're going to flip that. We're going to flip that. Glory to God. That is a difficulty. Glory to God. So why would Jesus promise a church something that's not going to be here? And Jesus knew it's not going to be here. So either Jesus is wrong or is talking past the Philadelphian church or actually he's making a promise to them he intends on keeping. I don't care what our doctrines say. Okay, so let's keep going. Let's keep going. Another obvious objection, we're continuing from the uh, MacArthur commentary. Another object. Obvious objection to interpreting Tarot Ek as a promise of preservation in the midst of the tribulation is that believers in that time will not be preserved. In fact, many will be martyred, leading to the conclusion that promising preservation is meaningless if the people, if the believers out of faith, uh, face the same fate as sinners during the tribulation. Wait a minute, believers do not face the same fate as the uh, 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 unbelievers in the tribulation. No. Those are called God's people. Those are the people that God was allowed Antichrist to kill. Those are the people where Jesus said you have to have patient endurance. He said some of you are going to be cast into prison. Some of you are going to, uh, uh, he said if you're going to be, uh, if you're destined to go to prison, to prison to go. If you're destined to be killed by the sword, you're going to be killed by the sword. He said this is the praise, perseverance, and the preservation of the saints. Glory to God. And those that remain faithful to Jesus. Glory to God. The, uh, 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 there are those just because a person 
person gives up their life or lays their life down, as it says in Revelation chapter 12, verse number 10, glory to God, it says they love not their lives until the death. These are those Christians during that time. And those are Christians. That's the church. That's what I'm teaching you. Ladies and gentlemen, the book of Revelation is written for the last generation of church saints before the rapture happens. So all of this stuff is a book, is a book written to us. It is our book. We're the ones who have it. We're the ones, the custodians of the book. It's the church. Glory to God. So to even to even categorize Christians who die in the Lord as not being preserved. See, it, it, see, that means you have to have a skewed vision of what preserved means. Now, Christ died on the cross. Was he not preserved? He died. But preser perseverance, glory to God, it got him to the cross. But he was preserved because why? God raised him from the dead. You see, you can't be carnal in your interpretation of this and then say well it can't be a promise to keep them through there because they they aren't they, they aren't they they aren't kept they're murdered I mean what kind of argument is that I mean Christians have always died for the faith what did Paul say to be absent for the bodies to be present with the Lord what is John MacArthur like what are you talking about here but again that's appealing to this whole mindset that we're not going to be here we're going to be called out and there's and, and as anybody that's followed me any amount of time to know how the uh, restrainer of second Thessalonians all these things tie in because it infects how we read the book of Revelation and how we even see the book of Revelation glory to God uh, please go back a couple of uh, 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 lessons to my two part series on the greatest Christians ever known go back and listen to that because I talk about the so called tribulation saints that the pre-trib says is the poor little left behind the people that didn't make the rapture cut ladies and gentlemen it could be nothing further from the truth these are God select people as a matter of fact they're seen in heaven standing before God serving them in his temple day and night they earned the right to be there because they came through the most difficult time uh, in church history without compromising under the Antichrist. See, this is one of the reasons why in Revelation 20, I think that was 21 8, where he said, but the cowards and the abominable and the sexually immoral will have their part in the lake of fire. You know why he's got the word cowards there? Because during that time, you're going to have a lot of Christians who've been taught all their lives that, the, that we wouldn't be here and when the church is still here and they face the Antichrist a lot of them are going to do just that. They're going to turn coward and they're going to compromise. That's why Jesus said in John uh, in Matthew 24:10, particularly from the NIV, he says at that time, he said that you're going to be put to death and many would defect from the faith. They're going to defect from the faith. Paul said the same thing. There's going to be a great falling away. Why? Because when Christians are still here during that time, because they've been taught pre-trib they've been taught we're not going to be here they've been taught all this stuff and they have ignored the true uh, message of revelation they haven't been able to see the true message of revelation because they've had on pre-trib blinders and they can't see it because of that when they are confronted with these issues they are going to jump ship left and right and they're going to cower they're going to turn coward not have the faith to die for the faith they're not going to have the stamina for it glory to God but John MacArthur gave everybody an out because he teaches you can get the mark of the beast and still be redeemed 
one of the top pre-trib proponents in the world, ladies and gentlemen, also teaches pre-trib, but also teaches, and but if you're still here and you get the mark of the beast, you can still be saved. That is a diabolical, oh, oh that's so diabolical. I don't want to get stuck on John MacArthur because I'm actually using his material here and we're going to go through it and we're going to um, uh, have some comments about it. Uh, again, at the bottom there, some hold that the promise of deliverance is only from God's wrath during the tribulation, but a promise that God would not that would not kill believers but will allow Satan and the Antichrist to do so would be a small comfort to a suffering church at Philadelphia. Well, wait a minute. He, uh, first of all, he wasn't talking about the church of Philadelphia suffering in the Daniel 70 week in the first place. He wasn't talking about that. There's an hour of trial that they knew something about, and we'll get to that, ladies and gentlemen. We'll get to it. I know dispensationalists, because of the Schofield Reference Bible, pre-trib and all of that, it really went throughout the United States, and it became the predominant belief, and it's just tradition. It's just tradition now, and people are really adamant about their traditions, and they would call people like me, of course, heretics and everything, but the child of God, because I don't teach pre-trib. I ain't scared of none of them. I ain't scared because I stand on the word of God all day. I'll go toe to toe with anybody. Just like I did with Dr. John Walford. I wrote him. I challenged him. And Dr. Pentecost. I did both of them. Both out of Dallas, Theolo Dallas Theological Seminary. Get my book, Revelation Revolution. You're looking at the cover in the background. Get that book. And, and look at my theological arguments. Look at the letters. I got letters from them. I got uh, paper in the, uh, in the appendix with Dr. Pentecost's own handwriting. You'll be surprised at some of the things he said to keep from admitting I was right. Uh, glory to God. But uh, get the book, Revelation, Revolution, The Antichrist, Angels, and Abyss. Okay, so now what we're going to do, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to restate the position that I'm teaching now. Our premise, number one, a narrow view of the wrath of God in relationship to the events delineated in the book of Revelation has the tribulation judgments, the seven seals, the seven trumpets, the seven bowls, normally referred to as the tribulation period coinciding with death. Daniel's 70th week, a seven-year period as being the totality of the wrath of God. However, this view is short-sighted. It's short-sighted, ladies and gentlemen, when we talk about the wrath of God. To only consider the wrath of God being Daniel's 70th week is a big mistake. Glory to God. And, and it, it messes up how you interpret things. Number two, many have failed to include the great white throne judgment and the penalty phase of that judgment called the second death given at the great white throne judgment as the worst judgment in Revelation, which is the most potent and extensive aspect of the wrath of God, not limited to seven years, but is eternal <laughs> and will include all the unrighteous dead that had ever lived, not only those doing on the earth during the tribulation period. Okay, number three, the second death was introduced by Jesus in his address to the church of Smyrna. Ladies and gentlemen, this is very, very important. We wouldn't even know what the second death was. It was Jesus who bought this up. Jesus is the one and he bought it up in connection to the church. He's the one who interjected that. 
before you even get to the seals, before you get to the trumpets, before you get to the bowls, before you get to Armageddon or any of that, Jesus is the one who mentions the worst judgment of them all, and he was the one who interjected this truth, this eternal truth. He mentions it when he talked to the church of Smyrna. It was Smyrna, ladies and gentlemen, where we are introduced to the term second death. So, point number three, the second death was introduced by Jesus in his address to the church of Smyrna. The church or any other righteous have no connection to the second death at all because the second death is the penalty of those found guilty in the great white throne judgment. A thousand years after. After the righteous have been raised and glorified, God has not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation, a reference to being glorified in the resurrection slant rapture. Glorification is the final act of the salvific process that all those who are saved await. And that is what is the salvation that is yet to be obtained. Uh, glory to God. But we get a juxtaposition to that salvific process when Jesus introduces us to another judgment that he does not elaborate on here, but he introduces it when giving his commendation to the church of Smyrna, one of two churches Churches that in Philadelphia that were not rebuked for anything. Glory to God. So in reference to a church, Jesus is the one that mentions the second death. And it's because the second death has now been brought to the table by the Lord himself. He introduces us to something that he reveals later on. But we now get an inkling of what the worst thing in Revelation is, which is not the seals, trumpets and the bowls. But it's the second death brought to you by Jesus Christ himself. Number four, since the two resurrections aren't close in proximity and and are two separate events however the Lord introduces the worst judgment of them all this means Jesus knew firsthand something that no human could possibly understand the horrors of an eternal place prepared for the devil and his angels that he referred to in Matthew 25 verse 41 this place is eternal no human being has any idea of how horrible it is because we don't know what the heck eternal is because we're all temporal we can say the word we can talk a concept but we have no idea what eternity is like we won't even be able to understand it until we get glorified and and see god face to face then we'll be on that realm where we've only known death in this realm uh, we have a word called eternal. It means uh, forever. And we got words like forever. But experientially, we don't know what that is. So Jesus is helping us out. And basically what he's saying, do you have any idea what I saved you from? What my blood has done? Because there's going to come a day where there's going to be a judgment where people are going to be judged by their works. And if they don't have me as a savior, if they don't have my blood, if they don't have the forgiveness and the grace of God, guess what? They stand before, they stand before that great white throne to answer for themselves. 
And when they're found guilty of that trial, that's coming to try the whole world, that's truly the whole world, not just, not just those that's living at the tribulation at the time, but everybody that's ever lived, they're going to be thrown in a lake of fire. Which is far worse than any of those trumpets, any of them bowls, any of those seals. Far worse. Far worse. Let's keep going. So we're restating our promise. Our premise number five. The fullest extent of God's wrath is not expressed in the seven-year tribulation, which is indeed the worst in human history. <laughs> However, Paul expressed God's vengeance and wrath in terms of eternal destruction. Paul declares he will punish those who do not know God and who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction, shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. And, and, and that's Second uh, Thessalonians uh, chapter number one, verses eight and nine from the NIV. The seals, the trumpets, the bowls that target those who dwell on the earth. Yes, they do. But. Are they the but they are all temporary they're temporary judgment the great white throne judgment is beyond the earth it's above the earth as a matter of fact in Revelation 20 verse 11 said the heaven and the earth got out of God's way this is so beyond the earth that the earth fled now we don't know what that means some 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 uh, commentator said it is the uncreation of the world it is the burning up of the world but whatever it is the 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 the, the, the imagery here is when the judge comes in the courtroom for this one this is such a tremendous judgment that everything just gets out of God's way even the universe even the earth so I don't know it's not out of space that we know that's all we know in this universe but this universe parts the earth parts they get out of God's way for this judgment now I don't know how to understand that I don't know how to say it any other way all I can say is how the revelation says it says the earth and the heavens fled from his presence when he does this judgment this ain't nothing like the trumpets this ain't nothing like the bowls this ain't nothing like the seals and guess what Jesus is the one who introduced it in terms of talking to a church not talking to sinners talking to a church glory to God the sixth premise Revelation also declares that the wrath of God and its eternalness directly connected with the eternal punishment of the lake of fire. When the angel declares in Revelation chapter 14, 9 through 11, the angel declares and the third angel followed and said, if, it, if anyone worships the beast, his image and receives its mark on their forehead or their right hand. They too will drink the wine of God's fury, which has been poured out full strength into the cup of his wrath. They will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of holy angels and of the lamb. And the smoke of that torment will rise forever and ever. There will be no rest day or night for, for those who worship the beast, his image, or for anyone who received the mark of his name. Period. So our premise is the fullest extent of God's wrath is not Daniel's 70th week. And that's the problem when we get to interpreting 
Revelation 3.10 where we deal with the trial that's coming on the whole world. Okay, now, let's look at this because we're going to go back and start counterpointing Dr. MacArthur's, and he's he's the only one, uh, Walvoord, MacArthur, Hal Lindsey, whoever it is. They, anybody that's pre-trib basically holds to these tenets. Let's actually look at the text uh, here in Revelation 3, verses 8 through 10. I'm reading from the NASB. It says, I know your works. Now, those of you that are watching the YouTube or the uh, or Facebook video, you can actually see that I've colored the pronouns uh, 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 your and you in green so you can see them. It says, I know your and then in parentheses, who's the your there? Well, the ancient church of Philadelphia deeds because he's talking about I know your deeds. He said, behold, I have put before you. You is green there. Who is he talking about to? The ancient church of the Philadelphia. An open door, which no one can shut. Because you, who is this you here? The ancient church of Philadelphia. Have little power and have kept my word and have not denied my name. Okay, verse number nine. Behold, I will cause those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews but are not. But lie, I will make them come down and bow at your feet. Now, this is interesting. And now, if, we, if you're going to make the rest of this futuristic, then what Jews are going to then come to the church and bow before the church in the eschaton, not, not, not in, in history past? See, if you want to start getting into these futuristic interpretations of that, then you got to include this part too. But of course, they never do. And they, they, they because now we're trying to be friends with Israel, we're not trying to get any of them to bow at our feet. We're too busy going over to the Holy Land and visiting and all of that. So we're not going to, we're not going to upset them. Uh, glory to God. So what is this talking about? Glory to God. Is it talking about something in the past or something in the future? Glory to God. But they, of course, they will say this is in the past and they, though they really don't have a lot of uh, uh, history to back it up. There are some that cite a few things, but whatever Jesus was talking about here, he was talking to them, to the Church of Philadelphia. And that's the point I'm making. Behold, I will cause those of the synagogue of Satan who say they that they are Jews, but are not, but lie. I will make them come down and bow at your feet. Now, the you're there again, the ancient Church of Philadelphia. And, and make them to know that I have loved you. Who is the you there again? The ancient church of Philadelphia. So, so far, we have your is used one, two times. And the word pronoun you is used three times. And all of these uses, ladies and gentlemen, we see you or your because the Lord is addressing this particular church at Philadelphia. He's talking to the ancient Philadelphians. He's talking to that congregation. Okay, that's what he's doing. Okay, now let's continue to read verse number 10. Because you, the ancient church of Philadelphia, I want you to follow this now. Have kept the word of my perseverance. I will keep you. Now, this is when pre-trib changes everything. This is not the Philadelphians of old. This is the church at the time of the rapture, which now means the church of the time of the rapture, at least 20 centuries in the future. So now, all of these other addresses that 
Jesus has given to the Philadelphian church from verse 8 all the way through part of verse 10 is talking about the ancient church of Philadelphia but when he gets to this part I will also keep you from the hour of testing that hour which is about to come to try about to come the whole world to test those that dwell on the earth okay now he is saying that the what pre-trib says it equivocates from Philadelphian church, the ancient church being addressed to this one part of this one verse no longer means the ancient church, but the future church at the time of the rapture. Now, what is in that passage that makes the equivocation of that term? Excuse my clock there. I was looking how to pause the share. And I, I don't know. <laughs> I messed it up so those of you in uh, 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 YouTube land and Facebook y'all get the video so y'all hear the clock <laughs> but anyway so they go all the way from yes this passage Jesus is talking to the ancient church of Philadelphia but in this one part he's no longer talking to them he's talking them all the way into the future 20, 20 at least 20 centuries in the future alright let me just read it again verse number 10 because you the ancient church of Philadelphia have kept the word of my perseverance I will also keep you now this you here is not talking about the ancient church of Philadelphia, but it's talking about the church at the time of the rapture, at least 2,000 years in the future. From the hour of testing, that hour which is about to come on the whole world, to test those who dwell on the earth. So at that point, Jesus stops talking directly to the Philadelphian church, but now is talking to us. Let's say like we're the generation. So it hops over, you know, all these other generations. It just comes to us because our trial, they have determined to be the tribulation. Daniel 70 week. That's what they say in the hour trial is. They insert the 70th week of Daniel there. And all of the things that follow in the seals, the bowls. The seals, the trumpets, and the bowls. Daniel's 70 week. So that's what they say the hour of trial is. Okay, now, Jesus doesn't say what the hour of trial is. He just says the hour of trial. Pretria puts in their part there. Pretria puts the rapture there. Okay? So we'll keep looking at it. In each one of these cases where the words you or your in verses 8 and 9 are used concerning it concerns the ancient Philadelphian church of the first century however when it comes to verse 10 I will keep you they insist that this is not only Philadelphian church but includes this saints at least 20 centuries into the future to mean the entire body of Christ the whole of the end time church worldwide so that's how they say that what that means 
This is a serious equivocation of terms, where the focus of the words you and your are changed from the rest of the context. This is a difficult hermeneutical hurdle to clear, but one that the pre-tribulationists insist to support this pre-trib rapture that is not explicit here. Revelation 3.10 has none of the elements of any of the other rapture text. For example, 1 Corinthians 15.55, 1 Thessalonians 4.13-18, John 14.1-3. There's no trumpets. There's no Christ in the clouds. There's no angels. No resurrection. No catching up. No instantaneous changing of the saints. No prepared place. No Lord coming to receive the believer to himself. No meeting the Lord in the air, no mortal putting on immortality, as it says in 1 Corinthians 15, no perishable putting on imperishable. There is not one explicit in Revelation 13 element found in any of the rapture passages found here. Yet most pre-tribulationists tout Revelation 3.10 as a support, if not proof, of a pre-trib rapture. And my question would be, man, is that all y'all have? I mean, your position is really in trouble if you need to depend on 310 to prove a rapture doctrine. Okay, all right now. What we're going to do is go back over to John MacArthur arguments and then we're going to respond directly to each one. The first argument was because the believers in Philadelphia had successfully passed so many tests, Jesus promised to spare them from the ultimate test. The sweeping nature of that promise extends far beyond the Philadelphian congregation to encompass all the faithful churches throughout history. All right, let's deal with my response. This promise made to the believers at the Philadelphia church based on a, is based on a command that the Lord had given to this church to endure patiently. Uh, as a matter of fact, that's the endure patiently is from the NIV to they or, or kept the word of my perseverance is how it's interpreted in the NASB kept the word of my patience is how it says it in the KJV or my command to endure in a Christian standard Bible or my word about my patient endurance in the English standard version. So the promise to keep them from the hour of trial that is coming to try the whole world was in connection to to their obedience to a command the Lord gave them to persevere because you have kept the word of my perseverance. Okay? So it was a command that they kept. It was something that the Lord said to that church. Glory to God. Without knowing specifically what the circumstances were that necessitated that command, no one today can properly unravel this mystery and must resort to theories. However, what is clear, the promise was made to those at the Church of Philadelphia. If we side with the pre-trip position, 
Jesus ends up making a promise that he didn't intend on keeping to them because he would have known that the Christians at Philadelphia had no chance of living to see the tribulation in the first place. They had no chance of living to see that. Okay. 20 centuries later, the tribulation or the rapture has not occurred yet. That means if we go by pre-trib interpretation, that means Jesus was talking past the very Christians that obeyed his command to endure. So now he's saying, because you kept my word to endure, I'm going to talk past you to somebody that's not living right now. That's going to be here 20 centuries later. You have to take understand it that way because that's how pre-trib wants us to understand it. Being kept from the hour of trial that's coming to try the whole world, ladies and gentlemen, was in direct response to the fact that the Philadelphian church had kept the words, the Lord's word of perseverance. Because you had kept the perseverance. Because you persevered. There was a command. There was a command that he gave them to persevere. How obviously he had spoke. So see, we don't know the context of that. Okay. 20 centuries later, the tribulation of the rapture still hasn't occurred. That means, again, I'm stating this again. That means Jesus was talking past the very Christians that obeyed his command to endure. But Jesus was not talking past the Philadelphian Christians. That's what I'm saying. He wasn't talking past them. He made a promise to them, a promise he intends on keeping literally. That's the way I'm coming from. Jesus was not talking past the Philadelphians. He wasn't talking past any of them other churches. Why all of a sudden he's talking past the Philadelphians? No, he wasn't. When he talks to the Laodiceans, he talks to them. When he talked to the Ephesians, he was talking to them. Now, there are things applicable to all human. There are problems in everybody's church that's going to have similar, there's going to be similarities. Why? Because we're human beings and human beings haven't changed since Adam. I don't care what church you're in. You're going to have people that's lying, stealing, cheating, not doing what they support and do, committing fornication, uh, lying, leaving their wives, doing stupid stuff, letting false people come in. These are situations that are typical to the experience of humanity. Humans don't change, so these problems don't change. Of course, there are things that he told the Ephesians that you may see something in the church down the street. We're, we're, not, we're not saying that, but we're getting back to the Philadelphian church. Jesus was not talking past anybody. He was talking to them just like he was when he was talking to the other people. Glory to God. And the other letters that he wrote. Jesus was not talking past the Philadelphian Christians. He made a promise to them he intends on keeping literally. The interpretive problem rests on a narrow view of the wrath of God. That's where the problem is coming in. Because when you say the hour of trial must just be Daniel 70 week, that's where your problem is. Your problem is right there. You haven't considered the other judgment in Revelation that's worse than all of those things that happen in the earth realm. The bowls, the seals, the trumpets, the bowls are tiddlywinks to the second death. And when pre-trib hasn't included 
the second death as being a judgment. See, the second death is a judgment, just like the trumpets, just like the seals, just like the bowls. Those are judgment. Well, so is the great white throne. It's a judgment with a penalty, with a cause and effect, the second death. Why do you think Jesus introduced it to the church of Smyrna? He wanted us to consider it. But Pre-Trib didn't consider that. They kept saying it's a tribulation. And they're using it to prove a rapture theory that can't be proved with the scriptures in the first place. Second point John MacArthur makes, this verse promises that the church will be delivered from the tribulation, thus supporting a pre-trib rapture. Here's my response to that. No, the promise was made to Philadelphia. The six uses of the word you and your refer to the historic Philadelphian church. However, the last you in the statement keep you from the hour of trial is speaking not to the Philadelphia, but to Christians a thousand years in the future. That's the problem. You're making an argument that doesn't make sense. Preach rib when you say that. Making the Philadelphian church the church of the rapture. So now you're saying it's the church of Philadelphia that represents the rapture church, which is another ridiculous idea. <laughs> this is a various dubious interpretation because the Philadelphian church was a church without rebuke. <laughs> that couldn't possibly be the church of the 21st century, especially here in America, where you still have 71% of Republicans, which a vast number of them are evangelicals, back a liar and are completely deceived by a liar. And they back a liar because in their minds, winning trumps truth. No pun intended to the former president. See, winning is more important to the Republican Party right now. Forget truth. They ain't worried about the truth. They're worried about winning. They want to fix all of the elections in America so Republicans always win and Democrats never win again. That's wicked, ladies and gentlemen. And the person spinning the lie is the person they back because they want to be in power. So winning trumps the truth. Ooh, that's a heavy statement. Winning trumps the truth. Trumps in quotes, meaning Donald Trump, pun intended, winning trumps the truth. Let's keep going. John MacArthur also says several aspects of this wonderful promise may be noted. The first, first one is the test is yet future. Okay, let's respond to that. Response, I would agree. That the hour of testing, that hour which is about to come upon the whole world, indeed is yet future and refers to the wrath of God. Yes, I believe that. However, revelation includes the second death is a part of the wrath of God. Pre-trib left that out. And we're going to see why that's important when it comes to Philadelphia. Why would God tell them he's going to spare them from the hour of trial? He wasn't talking past him. He was making a promise he's going to keep literally. And we're going to prove it. Glory to God. 
The next one is the test is for a definite limited time. Jesus describes it as an hour of testing. Once again, the great white throne judgment, too, is for a limited time. Jesus also called the resurrections for the righteous and the resurrection of the wicked the hour. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, all you have to do is read John 5, 28 and 29. He says, don't you know the hour is coming? Well, all those that are in the grave will hear my voice and will come forth. And then the, uh, those that have done wicked unto damnation. The hour. That's what Jesus called it. Hmm. Revelation 3.10 and John 5.28 the same Greek word horror for the hour. Jesus spoke of the resurrections as the hour. And the second resurrection is when they're brought back ladies and gentlemen to face God in a real trial. I don't want to get ahead of myself. Number five, it is a test or a trial that will expose people for what they really are. Let's respond to that. My response is this. Earthquakes, wars, famines, demon locusts, bloody water, 100 pound hailstones, etc. Have no sagacity or discernment or ability to make any judgments concerning someone's character. What will expose a person for what they really are is when the hour comes where the wicked dead are raised and stand before God at the great white throne judgment. There, the books are opened and the people are judged according to their works. They will be judged according to what is recorded in those books. Think about it, ladies and gentlemen. Every word, every thought, and deed people have done, spoken, or committed will come under the scrutiny, exposing who they really are by an all-power for all-knowing, all-present God that knows Every detail, nothing is hidden. That's who's going to be judging you. Now, you're talking about being exposed who you are. I don't know how a 100-pound hailstone is going to do that. Now, a 100-pound hailstone may expose who you are and see how quick you can weave. How quick you can dodge a hailstone. Oh, yeah, he, he, he was quick. Squash, oh, that other one, he wasn't. He, he was slow. <laughs> I'm being facetious, ladies and gentlemen, because when you really look at this, it's really dumb. Some of these arguments they make. It's really dumb. What's really going to show what people really are is when they open up the books. That's when God does it. Now, the seven seals, the seven trumpets, the seven bowls impact the earth and the people of the earth. However, the great right throne judgment is so awesome that it's beyond horrific. Let's look at it. Then I saw a great white throne in him who sat upon it, from whose face the presence, whose presence the earth and the heaven fled away and there was no place found for them. Oh, glory to God. Listen to this. This is awesome, ladies and gentlemen. This judgment far exceeds even the judgments of the tribulation. <laughs> 
At least when the seven seals, the troubles of the bowls occur, the earth stays in place. At this judgment, the heaven and the earth fled away and no place was found for them. Can you imagine that? The created order we understand parts like a carton and God shows up on the scene in a great white throne and all of the unrighteous that have ever lived on the entire world all time but not only them the angels as well this isn't just horrific for men this is where Satan and all of them would tremble the demons the angels all of them the angels that were locked up in Tartarus for their sins in the days of Noah they will be let out so they can stand judgment all of them will be there glory to God this will not be a joke at all limited time it will literally judge the whole world prior to the judgments there are no match for what occurs at the great white throne judgments excuse me the prior judgments are no match for what occurs at the great white throne judgment the former judgments take place in the temporal realm that means on earth ladies and gentlemen the great white throne judgment occurs in the eternal realm the consequences for the tribulation judgments last only seven years at the max and I'm gracious here because I'm borrowing from a pre-trib narrative of a seven year tribulation coinciding with Daniel 70 week the sentence of the great white throne judgment is everlasting destruction in the lake of fire which is called the second death first introduced by Christ himself in his address to the church of Smyrna Paul confirms this by identifying its everlasting destruction anything occurring in the earth realm are not are part of the temporal realm ladies and gentlemen that means they're not as significant as those things that are eternal. The sixth point that John MacArthur makes. The test is worldwide in scope since it will come upon the whole world. My response. It is true the tribulation will be a global event. But it will only include those living at the time. The people in 1482 ain't going to be there. The people in 1312 are not going to be there. The people in 1500 B.C. are not going to be there. Only the people living at the time of the tribulation would have, would have come on the whole, whole world. However, the great white throne judgment is literally the whole world because it will include all the unrighteous that ever lived since the, on the earth since the beginning of time up to the last person born on earth during a millennium. It'll include everybody that ever lived in the entire history of the world encompassing the phrase to a much greater degree come upon the whole world than those living just during the seven year Daniel 70 week. For example, you want to hear how this the term whole world is used. 
even though some of the Greek words, some of the uh, one or two of the Greek words are different. But let me give you an idea. For example, Jesus Jesus died for the sins of the whole world. And it says in John uh, two and two, the whole world here means every meaning everyone and all humanity. That is ever sin from the beginning of the world to the end of the world. Although only those who have received him will actually be saved. But you know, and that's and you know, really, that's really one of the shames. Glory to God of why of people go to hell because the blood of Christ is efficacious enough, ladies and gentlemen, to cover the sins of everybody. See, that's where the universalist grabs that concept and see that everybody going to heaven. No, 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 not so fast. Look, there's a bank downtown Chicago. I think they call it First National Bank. Well, it used to be. I forgot the name of it now. Northern Trust. It's enough money in that bank to give everybody in Chicago $10,000. And we got over a million people here. It's enough money in that bank. To do that but guess what you can't go down there and get a dime of that money unless you got an account there's enough money to give everybody in the city some money they can hand it out but you cannot withdraw on that resource glory to God unless you have a relationship and an account with that bank yeah Jesus died for the sins of the whole world his blood is efficacious enough but all the people of the world are not going to be saved because they all because most are going to reject him Broad is the way to destruction. Narrow is the gate to salvation. Finally, and most significantly, John MacArthur says, its purpose is to test them who dwell on the earth. A phrase used as a technical term in the book of Revelation for unbelievers. My response to that, I'm in agreement. This trial that I'm talking about, the great white throne judgment, is for the wicked. This too is for the wicked. The great white throne judgment is only for the wicked. It ain't for the righteous. This is the truth. So in conclusion, no comparison is being made in regard of the word trial uh, used in Revelation to a courtroom hearing. I'm not saying, I'm not connecting the two words trial like that. I'm not doing that. I'm connecting them as a fact at, as the seals, the trumpets and the bowls are judgments. What I'm saying is the great white throne is the worst of all judgments. Pre-trib usually only considers the Daniel 70 week judgments without considering the worst judgment, the most significant judgment where God's wrath is eternally expressed, not in temporary terms. The word trial should only be understood from the meaning of the Greek word periasmos, which means an attempt to learn the nature or character of something, a test or trial. That's what it means. Now, when you, if that's what the word means, let's ask ourselves a question. What's the best format for that? Is sending judgment on the world and fire and demons and all that the best way? Or a format to where you can open up the books and scrutinize every action of that individual's life and then make a judgment. Which format works best for trying to get at the character or the nature of the individuals that are being judged. So when one of those hailstones squash somebody, 
you look at their insides and go, oh, that's what kind of person they was? Oh, that's what they look like on the inside? No, I don't think so. Or when they get stung by one of them demons, how how how, how uh, loud they can yell. I know what preacher ever said. Well, they, it talks about they refuse to repent. We're going to deal with that. With that understanding, do the events of Revelation 6 through 19 attempt to learn the character or nature of something by bombarding the earth and its populace with various divine punishments? Are apocalyptic judgments what God chose to determine what people really are made of? Is that the most appropriate? Or is God waiting for one defining day? Where he will judge the wicked in a court setting with the evidence of their entire life recorded in the books in heaven are scrutinized by God himself. No evidence be left out, no detail ignored and making a righteous judgment whether a person is guilty or not in determining what they're really made of. The question is, which format gets to what a person really made of? The seals, the trumpets, and the bowls? Or the worst judgment of them all? The great white throne judgment. Where the guilty receive the penalty of the second death. Eternity burning in hell. That Paul said, we are not appointed to wrath. That's what he was talking about. But to obtain salvation. When we obtain salvation as Christians, that happens at the resurrection of the righteous. Slant the rapture. The people that are appointed to wrath, that happens at a resurrection. But it's the second one where they come forward to be judged for damnation. That's the ones who are appointed for wrath. In this way, all of the righteous dead, no matter when they lived, are brought up to life for that. And all of the unrighteous dead, no matter when they lived, are brought up for their judgment. That way everybody is included. Nobody is missed. That's why having a narrow view of the wrath of God messes up how you interpret Revelation because God is not just talking about the seven years, not in Revelation. Now, in some portions, some portions he is, obviously, the Antichrist comes up in the middle of the 70 week. We're not, we're not discarding the 70 week. We're not saying the 70 week is not part of the wrath of God. It is. It's the temporal part. It's the part that happens during Jacob's trouble, the 70, 70 week of Daniel, the tribulation period, the great tribulation, however you want to call it. But that's only temporary. Pre-trib and employing a narrow view of the wrath of God failed to factor in the second death as a part of the wrath of God. The first evidence of including the second death as a part of God's wrath comes from Paul himself. We just went over that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. God has not appointed us to wrath but to obtain salvation. Thessalonian believers were already saved. The only aspect of salvation that needed to be obtained was their glorification. That happens at the rapture slant, the first resurrection. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, Paul juxtaposes the blessedness of obtaining the final act of salvation, glorification, with not being appointed to wrath. 
where the ultimate expression of wrath is not found in the seven year tribulation, but in the second death, where God's wrath is finalized in eternal torment. Both juxtaposing events are eternal, whether it's heaven or hell. Those who were foreknown before the foundation of the world and names are written in the Lamb's book of life, the second death will not hurt them. This is why the Lord himself introduced that concept to the church of Smyrna. You got to go back to Smyrna. If you want to understand this, you got to go to Smyrna. Jesus introduces the concept there. And it was for a reason. We know what Paul had in mind when he writes, God will punish them with everlasting destruction. Second Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 9. Everlasting destruction happens at the lake of fire, not during the tribulation. Therefore, Revelation gives these words. But the fearful, that's King James says fearful. The other version says cowards. But the fearful and the unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Now he puts that in Revelation 21. It's all almost at the very end. Glory to God. He keeps telling about the second death. The first time he mentions it is to Smyrna. Glory to God. Though the great tribulation will be the worst time in all human history, never to be repeated again, it is yet tidly winks to the second death. Because the great tribulation only lasts three and a half years. The second death is eternally worse. Finally, when Jesus said to the church of Philadelphia 310, He says, I will also keep you from the hour of testing, that hour which is about to come on the whole world. He wasn't looking past them to some saints in the distant future. He was making them a promise he planned on keeping to them literally. This is why. Since the saints at at Philadelphia with all saints will be in the first resurrection, they will be alive. Listen to this, ladies and gentlemen, and reigning with Christ a thousand years before the great white throne judgment even comes, where the wicked dead will be raised and judged. This is the hour of trial, the great white throne judgment itself that they will be kept from and is why he told the church of Smyrna he who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death because by that time by the time the second death happens ladies and gentlemen the resurrection of the righteous will have already occurred a thousand years before that the Philadelphian church whom Jesus talked to in the first century will be alive because they will already be raised from the dead. But not only that, they will be reigning with Christ like all the church will. They'll be alive at that time. And they will be here to witness the great white throne judgment in which all Christians will take a part in. Because Jesus says in his word, will not the saints judge the world? Will not the saints judge angels? 
When do you think that happens? That happens at the great white throne. So the saints in Philadelphia will be living at the time this happens. Even though they've been dead 20, 20 centuries now, they'll be alive at that time. They will be alive to see this with their own eyes. They will be alive to witness how the grace of God, of what the horror that God kept them from when Jesus shed his blood on the cross. And they washed their blood robes white in the blood of the Lamb. They are kept from the hour of trial. The hour that Jesus says, there's an hour coming where everybody in the graves is going to hear my voice. There's no hour like that in all creation. Ladies and gentlemen, so the Lord wasn't looking past the Philadelphian church to some distant future. He was making them a promise because he knew he would see each one of them again in his kingdom. He was speaking to them literally. Again, since the saints at Philadelphia with all saints will be in the first resurrection, they'll be alive and reigning with Christ a thousand years prior to the great white throne judgment where the wicked dead will be raised and judged. This is the ultimate hour of trial that they will be kept from. This is why he told the church of Simona, he who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. The Christians will be there at the great white throne judgment. They will see people thrown into the lake of fire. All the people that did you wrong, they will be there being judged. And so will you. But you will be kept from the second death during the hour of trial that's coming to try everybody. You'll be kept from it. You'll be kept from the horror of burning in the lake of fire forever and ever. This is why Jesus introduced it to the church. He wanted them to know what he's keeping them from. In this way, God is literally keeping his promise to Philadelphia. A narrow view of the wrath of God forces this promise to be fulfilled not to the Philadelphians that have long been off the scene, but to Christians more than 2,000 years in the future. Now the Christians 2,000 years in the future will also be a part of it, but Jesus wasn't looking past the Philadelphians. He's knowing it because he's in the eternal now when he's making this, and he's seeing them be there. I'm going to keep you from now with trial. If we look at it the way that Pre-Trib was looking at it, or saying it was, then Jesus was making a promise to the Philadelphian church. He really wasn't talking to them. Because Jesus knew that the, the Philadelphian church would be way off the scene. Why tell them he's going to keep them from the hour of trial? Why tell them that when he knew the church, would they would not live to see the rapture, nor would they live to see the tribulation? They've been dead 2,000 years. And we have 2,000 years of history to prove that. That's not in question. So like John MacArthur said, the sweeping nature of this looks far beyond the Philadelphian church. No, he was making, it, it includes people other than the Philadelphian church because he's talking about all Christians, but in the sense that he made the promise to Philadelphia. Why? Because they kept the word of his perseverance. He was making a promise to them based on their faithfulness. And only Jesus knows what he, the word that he sent to that church. 
pre-trip turned this into a whole nother discussion on a whole nother day looking at a whole nother trial because they're trying to find their doctrine behind any scripture they can stick it in and that's what has their key scripture on pre-trip that's why it's faulty though it's true all that are redeemed would not be hurt by the second death it's true the pre-tribulationists have inserted a pre-trib rapture at Revelation 3.10, forcing solely, focusing solely on them being kept from the judgments of Revelation 6 through 19. However, Revelation gives a wider view of judgment. Pre-tribulationists leaves out of their calculus the great white right throne judgment. When considering the second death, and the great right throne as a judgment, pre-trib interpretation of the 310 rapture is not theologically, hermeneutically, or conceptually, conceptually necessary as the only viable option. See, they say it's necessary. It has to be. God was talking about keeping them from the tribulation. Well, you are, you're assuming that's correct. You're assuming it's correct that he's only talking about the tribulation. You have to to consider the great white throne judgment because Jesus mentioned it to Smyrna. You have to consider that. He's the one. Listen, it's not me bringing this up. Christ is the one who threw the second, who put the second death into play. Now, once he put it into play and said, I'm gonna, uh, he, he that will not be hurt by the second death. Once he said that and is addressed to Smyrna, that puts this into play. And that's why we're doing it. And what I'm teaching matches what Paul said, because Paul said they're going to be punished with everlasting destruction. We're not appointed to wrath, but to obtain salvation. Both of them are eternal both of those appointed and obtained are connected to their various resurrections, being the first and the second resurrection, respectively. In First Thessalonians, when Paul states we're not appointed to wrath but to attain salvation, that is yet to be obtained when all Christians or believers are glorified. Glory to God. The wrath that Paul was talking about was not only the wrath of God as in Daniel 70 week. He's talking about the wrath of God that will be expressed during the great white throne judgment. Well, people will be judged according to their works, according to what is written in the books. At that point, it will be determined what sort of person they really are based on their works, whether their names are written in the Lamb's book of life. We know Paul had this in mind because he speaks of the wicked being punished again with everlasting destruction. Had Paul only been referring to the tribulation, most of the wicked dead have already died and are not going to be living at the time of the tribulation. So therefore, they would not be participants or appointed to God's wrath if only Daniel's 70th week or the judgments of the seals and the bowls were in view. Now think about that. Let me say that again. Had Paul only been talking or referring to the tribulation as the wrath of God, most of the wicked dead have already died and are not going to be living at the time of the tribulation. So therefore, they would not be participants or appointees for God's wrath 
if only Daniel 70 a week is what Paul had in mind, which is the seven seals, the seven trumpets, and the seven bowls. Then the wrath of God would only apply to those living at the time of the 70th week or the tribulation period. However, the fact that wrath is appointed means that all of the wicked dead who have ever lived will be brought back to life at the appointed hour that Jesus referenced when he said the hour is coming when all that are in the grave shall come forth. That's St. John chapter 5 verses 28 and 29. And be judged in the great white throne judgment and sentenced to the second death which was first introduced First, the first mention of the second death is in his address to Smyrna and is the highest form of wrath. Now, in our closing passages of scripture, I want you to read, we're going to look at Acts 17.31. Listen to this. Because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man who he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. Now listen to this, ladies and gentlemen. Listen to what he's saying here. God has appointed a day, the appointed wrath, the day, the appointed time where people will come, on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man who he has ordained, that being Jesus. Now, the reason why we know this is going to happen, he has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. Now, when God raised Jesus from the dead, that is evidence that he's going to raise the rest of us from the dead. And so that's why Jesus gives the assurance that this judgment is going to happen. Jesus, he, in other words, he's saying, just as sure as God raised Jesus from the dead, he's going to raise the rest of y'all from the dead. There's going to be righteous raised and unrighteous raised. Both of them will be judged. Christians before the Bema seat where they are judged for rewards. The wicked at the great white throne judgment where they're going to be will be determined which level of hell they're going to dive off into when they get thrown off in the lake of fire. It's appointed a day where God will judge the world. The resurrection proves it. And this is why both of these judgments that we are not appointed to wrath, but to obtain salvation. That obtain salvation is connected to a resurrection. It's the resurrection of the righteous where we go through glorification. The appointment to wrath is connected to the resurrection of the unrighteous. And that's why he's talking about it. Is the day appointed. Listen to this again. <laughs> Hebrews 9.27, you've heard this before. It is appointed once for a man to die, but after that, the judgment. Why do you think these scriptures are there? The judgment. This has always been. This isn't new. 
we've just been so taught through a dispensational model of how to interpret everything. We haven't put all this together. But now it's being put together for you. So you can understand the scriptures. Listen to this finally. Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world will be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Do you not know that we shall judge angels? How much more? Things that pertain to this life. Listen to that. <laughs> Isn't that beautiful? In other words, ladies and gentlemen, saints will participate in the judgment of the world and angels. Not in this life, but in the next one. And the only way you get there is through a resurrection. Glory to God. Resurrection of the righteous, resurrection of the unrighteous. Jesus, when he told the Philadelphian church, he said, I'm going to keep you from the hour of trial. They come to try the whole world. He wasn't talking about Daniel 70 week. He was looking at the resurrection and the judgment that they would actually be at. This one. He knew he was going to raise them again. He knew he would see them again. So when he made that promise, he wasn't talking past them to, uh, and looking over them to talk to just the people that are living at the time of the rapture. No, he wasn't doing that. He was including the, 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 the Philadelphians and everybody else. He was including them. He said, look, and this is why Paul said when the Lord comes back with visions, he said, this includes you. <laughs> oh, this is so good. Listen, my time is up. This has been a great, great study. Uh, I know that this is heavy. This is heavy duty stuff. And so this is why I'm glad to glad to put it on YouTube and you guys can go back and listen to it over and over again. I'm human. I make mistakes. Uh, I think in one of my last uh, lessons, I meant to, I, I think I said Matthew 25 on something when it should have been Matthew 24. You know, I'm, I'm fallible human being, you know, but uh, the bottom line is the word of God speaks for itself. I love my brothers that are pre-trib I used to be pre-trib and all that but you know the Lord spoke to me one day years and years ago I was working uh, as a security manager at Luster Products in Chicago and I was working I was doing some writing I didn't even know I was writing a book at the time I just was doing all this writing it just came over me and one day the Lord spoke to me and said he can't get those words impregnated me with a revelation of all of this. What the Lord was talking about was the beast. The beast ascends from the bottomless pit. It started the whole everything. And here we are almost 40 years later teaching you these things. And so get my books. You must know the times. Answers to 25 Essential Questions on End Time Prophecy and Revelation Revolution, the Antichrist, Angels, and the Abyss. It is a theological work that will prove that the Holy Spirit is not the restrainer of Second Thessalonians. That was a something that 
John Nelson Darby declared it became been, been tradition now for 190 years in the United States and around the world. But it's actually not true. And it has a big impact on a pre-trib rapture. Now, if you would like to support this ministry, you can send tax-deductible donations to Power of the Holy Ghost Deliverance Ministries, Post Office Box 1239, Matson, Illinois 60443. You can give us a call at 877-267-7477 or send us an email at phdministries400 at att.net. Again, that's phdministries, the number 400 at att.net. Listen, God bless you and keep you in Jesus' name. We'll see you real soon. God bless you and keep you in Jesus' name.